Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous Birthful Library. Happy listening. Ugh, I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny King. Pregnancy and postpartum are some of the most nutritionally demanding times of your life, which makes sense because you're basically acting as your baby's pantry while pregnant or nursing. That's why the quality of your prenatal supplements is so vitally important. Hands down, the one I recommend is needed. So I'm thrilled to say that if you use the code BIRTHFUL at thisisneeded.com, you can get 20% off your first month of Needed products. Needed is the number one nutrition brand recommended and used by me and over 4,000 practitioners from nutritionists to midwives, functional medicine doctors, and OBGYNs. Needed is for anyone trying to conceive, pregnant, postpartum, and really, this is goodness you can use even before and beyond the perinatal years. Along with prenatals, Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support to a lactation support plan, a stress and sleep support plan, and a gut health plan. In fact, I've had clients rave about Needed's pre- and probiotic formula, saying how much better it made them feel compared to their usual probiotics. And to me, Needed's hydration support packets, which only have ingredients you can pronounce, are a must in any doula or hospital bag. Also, Needed's prenatal multi is available in capsules and easy-to-take vanilla powder for those with nausea or pill fatigue. 
head over to thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today's show is about the problem with due dates. If you're pregnant, you may be sick of the question, when are you due? Especially since the methods for calculating that date aren't based on any current evidence. Only about 5% of babies are born on their due date. So why do we obsess? Gail Hart and her dogs are here to tell us more. Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty parents and parents-to-be. Thank you, as always, for all the love you give the show and for your support and for spreading the word with your friends and family and social media feeds. Now, this week, I'm bringing back Gail's Heart episode on the problem with due dates. And even though we know that due dates don't mean much, they have this uncanny ability to mess with our heads when they go by and the baby hasn't arrived. So this episode is a great deep dive into why it would be better to focus on an expected week or month of delivery instead. Not a due date, but expected month. Hands up that for this episode, we're not only receiving Gail's wisdom, but she's also taking us on a journey through her house and farm in Portland, because that's how she rolls. You'll see what I mean. And let me tell you a little bit about Gail. She graduated as a certified practical midwife in 1977 and has held a variety of certifications over the years. She is now semi-retired, but is still strongly interested in ways to holistically incorporate evidence-based medical knowledge with traditional midwifery understanding. With nearly 40 years of birth experience working as a midwife, Gail has been a frequent speaker at midwifery conferences and workshops in the United States and internationally pretty much all around the globe, including Fiji, Copenhagen, France, Australia, and many, many other places. All right, here's the show. Gail, thank you so much and welcome. Well, thank you for inviting me. So in uh, talking about the problem with due dates, let's, let's break it down. Like, what would you say is the first problem with the concept of due dates? Gosh, man, the first problem is that we actually look at a calendar and say, and we use these words, your baby is due on the 1st of October. Because we have a, a conscious mind that knows that, oh, yeah, that's sort of a rough thing. But our subconscious mind hears that as due, as in like overdue. There's a penalty to pay when your library book is overdue, right? Your, uh-huh. um, your, uh, your milk, when your milk is overdue, it is outdated, you know, and so we hear that as a problem. Um, we really should be using different words, um, and I really would actually love to to uh, replace it with estimated date of maturity, because your baby's not due on that date. It's not a, like a parcel package, you know. You expect it when UPS says it's going to come on Tuesday. It's supposed to be there on Tuesday, and Wednesday comes around, you get upset. It's not like that at all. That's about the date that your baby will be ripe, that the placenta will be ripe, and that your baby uh, will be likely to be ready to be born dot, 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 within three weeks of either side of that date, dot, dot, dot. From 37 to 43 weeks is the average length of pregnancy for mature babies. Under 37 weeks, they can have some problems with immaturity and possibly maybe after 43 weeks with post-maturity, but that's so rare to go beyond that. Um, 
this, yeah. this what a normal term baby is, you know, and if he comes at 39 weeks, he's not, he's not coming before his due date. He was due in that three weeks, one side to three weeks to the other side. And I think that's something we can't tell moms enough because it is, like you say, we're so used to this due date. It gets in our head and it messes with us. Even if we know that it doesn't mean stuff, that it doesn't mean much, when that date comes around, you're a little disappointed if you're still pregnant. Exactly. And when we used to say estimated date of delivery, even though I don't like the word delivery, but there still is an estimated date of delivery. Now they're saying estimated due date. That's our problem. And you were mentioning between 39 weeks and 43 weeks. I don't think I've ever... In my experience, seeing, you know, a mom that has been, quote unquote, allowed to go to 43 weeks. I mean, that's really something you don't see very often. No, that's been a change in the last 15 years. And it is 37 weeks to 43 weeks. So three weeks either side. You could cut it down and call it a due month and say 38 to 42. But no, the the normal length of of, uh, of a healthy human pregnancy, you know, runs to forty three weeks, and occasionally longer than that. Um, when I was pregnant in uh, nineteen seventy three and was actually forty three weeks in a day, my doctor said, "Well, you know what? If you're still pregnant, let's week next week, let's talk about it, about doing something about it." Um, it's not. Uh, I mean. There uh, came about in the 1970s, oh, mid-1970s, maybe late 1970s, uh, a very poor study showing that there was a higher risk of uh, loss of babies after the due date. Not after the due date, with post-term dates. There's different terminology here, and post-dates is different from post-term. Post-dates would mean after the due date. That's one thing to think, okay, she's due October 1st, now it's October 2nd, she's after the due date. Mm -hmm. Post-term Back then, technically, would have meant 43 weeks and beyond. Um, now, some people are trying to say that it's 42 weeks, but we really don't have much data to show that. Most women will have delivered um, before 43 weeks, though. The majority of women will have given birth by 40 by 42. Very few women, especially first-time moms, actually deliver before that due date. Um, if you're a first-time mom, the most likely date for you to actually have your baby is 10 days after that due date. That's by a... Um, computer program done by Dr. Woods years ago. And it's much more uh, reliable than the this centuries-old method we're using called Nagel's rule, mm-hmm. which is the 40-week rule. Can we talk a little bit, uh, explain how flawed this Nagel's rule is? Um, because it's it was when I was doing research for this, I was very interesting to or to discover how like random and outdated this practice this calculation is mm-hmm. well it actually some of it goes back to women's wisdom or or uh, pagan tradition and uh, and a little bit to science so here comes these these doctors and they're observing women come in and they're pregnant go so when when does this average woman go into labor remember they wouldn't have been inducing just when does she go into labor mm-hmm. so in order to have a baby who is uh, mature meaning he's able to breathe and he's great and he's healthy. And that was that 37 weeks to 43 weeks based upon this little 40-week thing. They actually thought back then that women became pregnant um, during or or uh, just after the, the time of menstruation. They thought of it as being like estrus in other mammals. Um, you know, when your dog kind of swells up behind and they have a bleeding discharge, she's fertile then. 
they didn't realize that we don't get pregnant for at least two weeks after our menstruation. Mm-hmm. But it was a, it's a calendar calculation when you take hundreds of women and go, okay, when was the baby born? Oh, it's roughly 40 weeks after her last normal menstruation. That's a pretty soft number right there. Because, um, and again, that's, that's the average, you know, that 40 weeks. Again, with that little three weeks on either side, almost everybody was being born within that six-week window. Didn't say when you're most likely to actually have your baby. And women are very different. Back when we didn't have a modern lighting system and when it got dark, it got dark. Our cycles were primarily ruled by the moon. And that's, you know, we have this 28 circadian uh, rhythm, 28 days roughly between one menstruation and the next. That's all thrown off now because we're not ovulating uh, in the mid-cycle like we used to. Um, We're ovulating now almost anything at random and partly because of our exposure to light and because we have very different uh, body schedules than we used to we don't get up at dawn and go to bed at dusk so many things can throw that off and then there's the individual thing you have entire groups of families of women who always give birth at 38 weeks or who always give birth at 42 or 43 weeks we call them 10 months mamas i'm actually one of those Mm -hmm. nobody in my family's had a baby before 42 weeks it just doesn't occur so when you talk average, we have to go, well, you know, an average um, baby, healthy baby is anywhere from 6 pounds to 12 pounds. That wouldn't mean that you would say, okay, any baby over 9 pounds, 12 ounces or whatever is not average and therefore, you know, is, uh, um, you know, abnormal. You know, girls menstruate anywhere from age 10 to age 16. You wouldn't say that, you know, if they don't menstruate on their 14th birthday, there's something wrong with them. We understand that there's a normal difference and that a, a, a five-year-old can, you know, if you line up all of your, your um, kindergarten kids, they can be all sorts of different shapes and sizes. And we all call those the normal range. You can't take one and say everybody must fit this exact same size. But that's what we're doing with our due dates. And the funny thing is that we are all used to being very different. We all consider ourselves unique. We know that every birth, even for the same mama, consecutive births are going to be very different. So we are comfortable with that idea of things being different in different ranges. But when it gets to due date, I think the biggest problem also is that we are making decisions based on that due date. Exactly. And as if it was set in stone. What are some of those problems? Well, actually, you put your nail on, on the head right there. That is the problem with modern American obstetrics. We are trying to make every woman fit into this exact box. She will. I'm sorry. I had... That's all right. Let's say how she, she has an opinion, too, or he has an opinion. Yeah. She wants a different spot on the blanket that the other dog is already in. So she's ah. a little upset about it. Um, Yeah, so women are not machines. You know, we are very unique, and we understand uniqueness in all kinds of things, but not in in obstetrics. The entire model seems to be based upon here you are, you are now six weeks and one day pregnant because we looked at this ultrasound and your baby must be that without realizing that, you know what, there's variation in there. And so here you are, you're exactly 40 weeks today, and so now now therefore we can go ahead and just take this baby out because he's due and that's, and that's really what we see, this um, thing that, that your particular baby who is unique in every other way, and we understand that, that, you know, when he's seven, he may be a poor re- reader, or maybe he's reading at four, that's all within normal. We don't seem to accept that when it comes to due dates. So we say every baby must be born by 40 weeks or even by 39 weeks. We're seeing a push for that today. 
the idea of why let him stay in there any longer than not. And that may be that other sort of a thing of saying that the, the womb is a dangerous place and we should get the babies out as soon as possible. Well, that's not biological. Uh, I mean, that, that is biological nonsense. Um, yes, and, there and, are babies that shouldn't be in there. There are babies and sick babies and they should be in the hospital. And that means mother in the hospital with the baby in the womb or baby out of the womb and giving the best care we can, but that's a tiny minority of babies. And it would be fine and dandy if you wouldn't be creating more problems, I think, because, you know, what happens if we take out a baby out that because it's 40 weeks, but baby's not ready, then what are we running into? Well, we are running into problems, and um, the cesarean rate in the United States has skyrocketed. Um, and I think that the... Uh, um, policy of due date, uh, delivering by the due dates is part of it. Um, I don't know if I can get my uh, charts up here at the moment. But um, when you when you change the policy, for instance, a very large study, maybe a couple hundred thousand births over this time period, and the 1993, the protocols were that you waited for labor. You know, if the woman went beyond her, quote, due date, you know, she had 10 days after that, you began doing uh, what are called fetal surveillance tests. You know, instead of seeing her once a week, you're seeing her twice a week. She's doing fetal movement counts, just making sure the baby's still okay, right? Mm-hmm. You induced only mm-hmm. if there was a reason. So, and, um, but in 1996, this particular hospital changed that policy and said, no, we're not going to monitor babies. Neither, no, not a day past 42 weeks. We're going to induce them all. Well, 1993, there were 20% of those uh, labors were induced, but by 1996, three years later, almost 45% of those of those uh, babies were being induced in that hospital. There was not any change at all in the uh, stillbirth rate or uh, rate of babies being admitted to the to the NICU. You ended up doubling the cesarean section for no benefit, simply because you said, nope, the calendar date now rules, and we're not looking at it by the individual uh, baby and the individual mom. Which is, in, it, I'm outraged. Yeah. No, that, that's crazy, right? Just because you decided one day that your construct was different. Uh-huh, exactly. And that's why I like research, because you can sort of show those things like, wow, what does it matter if somebody says, you know, we're doing all these tests on these people fast 42 weeks. I don't want to do it anymore. We're just going to like say, look, your baby's due on the, on the first if it's not up by the 14th, we're just inducing it. Done deal. Well, but then you end up doubling the cesarean rate, which is not a problem if you think that a cesarean is not a problem. But if you ask the woman who's had a cesarean, she'll tell you, most of them will say, gosh, I wouldn't have done that unless I really had to. Hold on just a second. This is modern life. I have to going. Okay. I'm moving over here. Sorry. I have people coming up to check on their horses. I live out in the country. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, it's really, I love it. Absolutely. I tell everybody, sell everything you have and go move to the country. Don't live in the city unless you have to. (laughs) But yeah, so getting back to this thing, I mean, really, that's really what we have to look at. Someday, maybe, we can make a choice and say, you know, you conceive this baby in a test tube or maybe in the womb. We can take him out. We can put him in this bottle. And if you want to get him out on on the 1st of October, cool, we'll go ahead and take him out. We're almost at that point with looking at a woman as being a vessel carrying a baby, which can be just taken out whenever we want to by cesarean section. If cesarean section were risk-free and pain-free and had no problems with future pregnancies, and if women wanted that, hey, cool. You know, I'm the first person to say you should do what you want. 
But I think that we're putting an awful lot of women to cesarean sections they didn't want to or to inductions that they didn't want to. And there may be some longer-term effects of cesarean sections that we really are just beginning to see now, especially as we learn about the uh, state of the gastrointestinal system and the uh, microbiotic and the mi microbiome, um, which seems to be highly affected by cesareans. It would be a good idea if we could reduce... Unnecessary cesareans. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. And I did a, um, I recently do, so I'm telling people who are listening, if you haven't heard it, I have a podcast done a few weeks ago, or it's got to be more than a few weeks, with Dr. Rodney Dieter on specifically the microbiome. So you can get more information on that because it's fascinating, that and epigenetics. And it's, it um, makes us really stop, that, that we need to stop and consider every decision more deeply than we are considering it a little bit more deeply yeah just because we can do something we have this figure like should we do something you know yeah we could do we could line up every woman and just do a cesarean at 39 weeks we really could and i have seen the cost analysis of that which actually would benefit hospitals a lot um i i'm shocked at it that anybody actually did that but if you if you lined up everybody at 39 weeks, just did their cesarean sections, and you could close the labor and delivery rewards, and you would save an awful lot of money. You know, people could be uh, could plan their lives around their cesarean. You know, and on well, you could induce them, and if they're not born by 5 p.m., you could go ahead and and do a cesarean. Um, we could do that. We really are amazing creatures. We're human beings, and we can do all kinds of stuff. But we have to look at that long term results of that, and you have to look at the individual woman. You know, if I needed a cesarean section, believe me, I want a cesarean section. And I will fight for the, I'd fight to the death for a woman to get a cesarean section if she needed it or if she wanted it. But to do an unnecessary induction, we may end up with an unnecessary cesarean section and a woman who didn't want that at all. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it is, that's what we're looking at, of trying to have mindful births and, and mm -hmm. to con have informed choices, which required, you know, informed consent. With Mother's Day coming up fast, are you looking to get your mom, grandma, or mother figure a gift that they'll actually love? You know, something that is treasured instead of dying out or collecting dust? If so, you need to know about mylifeinabook.com, which is a service that helps turn their life stories into a beautiful book that can be passed down. How amazing is that? And the process couldn't be easier. Basically, if they can use email, they can create their book. Every week, My Life in a Book will send them an email with a prompt question to get them started. And if they don't like the question, they can easily edit it or change it. We gave a My Life in a Book to a family member that always wants to document all family get-togethers through images. And let me tell you, the process of sending the gift was super simple, even letting us choose the date we wanted the gift to be sent. I'm so looking forward to discovering stories about her youth, her adventures, and the challenges she has overcome. And since My Life in a Book lets you add an image with each answer, she can now share the story that goes along with her many photos. Another great thing is that the answers can be edited at any time before the book is printed, in case she wants to add anything else. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use the code BIRTHFUL at checkout for 10% off. 
create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 10% off today. Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns, and sometimes I find that investing gets put off because it doesn't seem urgent or because with our busy lives, we may not have the time to research and manage said investments, which is why I so appreciate that Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future and that you don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. So for example, I take advantage of Acorn's roundup feature where they round up the purchase amounts I make in my linked account to the nearest dollar, and then they automatically transfer that to my invest account portfolio. Also, Acorns can recommend an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. For me, that's easy peasy investing. Head to acorns.com slash birthful or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Client testimonial may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com slash birthful. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC Acorns is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorn Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. Now, back to this post-dates or, or, or the problem with the due dates. I know one of the things that comes up as, oh, no, this is the reason why we need to induce and it might not be so much a concern for the, you know, the baby might be looking great. So that might not be so much of a concern. But you hear a lot the problem of the aging placenta and that that the placenta might not be working so well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, theoretically, every system in the body has a senescence point. Well, it's a long word. Um, a point at which it doesn't function so well. I mean, because otherwise we'd all live to be 190 or something, right? But eventually our hearts start to give out, our organs start to not function as well as it could be. And it's probably true about the placenta. Um, although 43, 44 weeks is probably a much more reasonable time to think that a placenta may begin to punk out uh, than uh, 42, 41, 40, or 39, depending on what people's philosophy are. Uh, philosophies are we can examine placentas uh, by ultrasound now and we can see that we're doing that they're doing well um the biggest thing though that you see is that a placenta that is beginning to age is um not doing the same transfer of uh amniotic fluid as it used to and mm-hmm. so the amniotic fluid begins to decrease baby's not growing as fast as it was it slows that down and eventually you should see some you know other sort of changes it's not something that happens overnight and that's the whole point of doing these fetal surveillance tests, which are, um, and the most effective fetal surveillance test, by the way, is what's called a kick count, just uh, charting how long it takes to feel 10 movements and um, doing that once a day or twice a day to see if there's a change. So I love the answer of having the mom connect with their bodies and connect with their babies and and have that as a reassurance as well as going in and getting monitored and, and, you know, getting reassurances everywhere instead of getting more and more worries. Because, and I know this from moms that are facing inductions, mm-hmm. that 
it's like trying to watch a, a pot of boiling water. You know, the more you watch it, the less it happens. Um, because stressing the moms out, you've got adrenaline coming in and, and that then oxytocin can't flow and these contractions can't happen. That's exactly it. And that's what I hate most about due dates, especially midwives who work under protocols, because, I mean, obstetrics is a wonderful field. You know, they're, they're really great surgeons and they save lives. But obstetricians are trained to abnormal pregnancies. And in many places, obstetricians oversee midwives. Midwives who, by scope of practice and by training, do the normal births that don't require, you know, medication interventions and, and, um, and surgery. So it's an unfair, I think, an unwise collaboration. It should be that the midwives are the ones monitoring the normal pregnancies and calling in the doctors when they need to. But what we're getting in many places is midwives are working under protocols, whether they're hospital-based or home-based, that say, you cannot see this woman after 42 weeks, or certainly most places, 43 weeks, and many by 42 weeks. She must go in for an induction. Must go in for an induction. Now, if I'm a woman who carries past 42 weeks, which I do, except all except for one of my babies, um, I would never accept that. What do you mean, must go in for an induction? Well, you go in for an induction, it's almost as if you have no choice because you are now higher risk. When you look at, at risk in, in uh, post-term babies, you see this tiny little upward tick of risk of stillbirth in babies, but generally that doesn't hit until 43 weeks and skyrockets after 44 weeks. And this very first um, chart that came up that got everybody like all worried about it happened, uh, it's actually the McClure-Brown chart, um, in, published in the 1970s, but at births that were done in the 1950s under general anesthesia primarily, including an awful lot of fetal anomalies, uh, neural tube defects, which we are, see very rarely these days. Um, a lot of these babies uh, who have severe problems tend to go over dates because they can't induce their own labors. They're lacking a pituitary gland or something, and so 43, 44 weeks or beyond um, yeah, yeah, and then finally labor is triggered with them where labor is induced, but these babies aren't going to make it anyway. Just one or two out of a thousand of these or one or two out of 10,000 of these skew the, the statistics wildly. We no longer see this change in when you do other retrospectives, you do 100,000, 200,000 births, and you look at the gestational age of babies at, when they're born and the, and the uh, gestational age of babies who are actually stillborn. Um, yeah, I mean, you might see the, I mean, the tiniest little uptick and it turns out to something like maybe one extra per like, you know, 10,000 or 12,000 births, which is um, probably preventable even in those rare cases uh, by monitoring the babies. And, I, and I, I'm really a big one on, on what are called, you know, fetal surveillance tests, not necessarily that they need to be done by ultrasound, but, you know, just the mothers. And the, like I said, the most effective one is the mother just, you know, knowing the baby's normal pattern of movements. Babies that are getting sick because the placenta is aging, if we accept that um, as a possibility, um, they don't, they're not healthy one minute and dead the next. And, you know, uh, well, other than crib death, it's probably about the only thing where that happens or sudden heart attack. In general, people get sick and they get sick over like the time the two-year-old doesn't want to play anymore. He's lazy on the couch. He just won't. Won't move, doesn't want to eat, doesn't want to do anything. And you take him to the doctor and find out he's something seriously wrong. Well, that's the same with the baby in the womb. If he's not kicking around like he used to, then go check him out and see if there's a problem with him. That's going to be so rare 
and I tell people that if you do these these kick counts, it's not so much that you're going to um, you're doing it out of fear, but you're doing it for that reassurance because everything around us is, you know, giving us worry. This is one thing we know we don't need to worry about because, you know, my baby takes uh, 15 minutes to get his 10 movements and he's still doing that. And he's not going like 45 minutes or two hours or something. Now, that's the baby to worry about. Mm-hmm. And that can be, again, it's such a reassurance to have that connection with your baby. So we just talked about like the end of it, of that worry with the placenta. Mm-hmm. Is there something we can look looking at the other, at the first, at the beginning of it, and at, at, when you first calculate that due date? Can Is there a way of better determining that estimated date of delivery? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You need to look at the woman's unique pattern of menstruation and when she might have had ovulation. I love it when women are doing these natural family planning methods because they, they know when they ovulated, they know when they conceived. Yay. Doesn't necessarily tell me when she's going to go into labor, but I get a better guess of it anyway. Mm-hmm. And um, so, if she has 35-day periods, you need to adjust that outward. You know, she's not going to to um, deliver on the first of October. I mean, she's probably not going to be till. I mean, you should adjust her due date out by about 10 days, um, and make it like the 10th, and then you'll be much more accurate. Um, there are, um, but personally, I'm much more concerned about the woman going preterm than post-term. You know, they, we have a big problem with premature births in the United States. I mean, for a lot of reasons, um, but, uh, you know, maternal health is, um, is a big factor in that. But yeah, certainly finding out the, the correct due date. Yeah, that's important. So the woman doesn't end up getting caught in one of these protocols like that hospital had where everybody hits 42 weeks and everybody gets induced. And in terms of now, I have I have seen quite a bit of improvement in terms of consideration or in lessening the trying to lessen the prematurity rate, um, especially by that push the push that March of Dimes have been doing uh, to try to wait till at least thirty nine. Yes, yes, which is a great benefit, um, obviously, because you know there's so much that can go wrong with prematurity and, and all the problems, long-term life problems that can yeah. stem from that. Um, so I, you know, a little shout out there to March of Dimes and they're waiting till 39 weeks. And ACOG also yes. re- redefined their definition of term in 2013. Um, yep. And they made full term 39 weeks to 40 weeks and six days so almost 41 (laughs) yeah yeah i mean they they helped a little bit but um but really there was a problem has always been a problem with people wanting to get the baby out a little too soon let's just you know shave this off a bit if everyone who's had a baby if you look remember what the baby was acting like on day one and then the baby on day seven and the baby when he's two weeks old and three weeks old you see a big change in these babies. Mm-hmm. Their brains are developing uh, at a great rate for every week when they're out. Well, the same thing is happening when they're in the womb. The baby who is 39 weeks is not as intellectually developed as a baby who's 41 weeks. You know, those extra couple weeks um, are not about all improving the lungs. We used to go, it's all about the lungs, right? As long as he can breathe, he can come out. 36 weeks, hey, that's cool because he can breathe. It's not really about that. It's about, you know, what's going on in the brain. Extra 40, you know, baby at 41 weeks may actually be a little bit more intelligent than that baby at 39 weeks. 
And that's what uh, some of them are looking at now. Mm -hmm. um, these researchers uh -huh. look at these things. Um, and the baby is sort of signals when he's ready to get born. The baby can trigger labor when he's in distress. I mean, he's not growing as well as he did. Sometimes those babies will be... Uh, um, we'll go ahead and trigger labor regardless of the calendar. And that's the uh, a lot of our preterm babies are that because they've had something going wrong. Mm -hmm. But some babies are very happy in the womb and they're just going to continue on and uh, and they will come when they're ready. Um, I want to find the one who's not. And that's really what you're looking at. If you run up statistics, and I, and I don't say this to you know frighten women at all, but the um, the stillbirth rate at 37 is the rate, not the number. Is pretty similar to the uh, to the um, actually it's a little bit higher than the stillbirth rate at 42 or 43 weeks, and I personally think that's because we're paying attention to these babies at 42 weeks. You know, 41, 42 weeks, we're doing little extra tests. The baby hasn't been growing for a week or two. We're like, let's go ahead and induce this baby, or let's see if there's something we can do to make things better in the womb. But at 36 and 37 weeks, we're often not paying that kind of attention. Mm -hmm. We're like, oh, yeah, see you at 36 weeks. Yeah, I'll see you in a couple of weeks, which, again, is why I like the, uh, that idea of the kick counts. Um, and the March of Dimes has another program that has really helped a lot, and it's called Every Baby is Worth the Weight, W-E-I-G-H-T. The biggest factor we have in preterm birth is women who are dieting and not gaining sufficient weight doesn't mean you should gain 60 pounds but it also means you can't gain six pounds and think everything's going to be okay let's mm -hmm. kind of have mm -hmm. some kind of like happy medium in there yeah it's about finding that happy medium in all stances of it and <laughs> waiting mm -hmm. but not waiting but paying attention and <laughs> being in uh -huh. touch being connected very good yeah being attention being in, yeah so there are things that we can do possibly to help it's called a timely birth i actually wrote an article it's online in midwifery today uh called a timely birth um, because, I mean, that's those two things, those two ends when the baby is not in that, you know, definition of term, you know, 40, you know, 37 to, to 43, which is when average people will go into labor. But uh, really, for healthy babies, yeah, 39 weeks and up is when we like to see them. Um, you know, and so when is weight gain and, you know, certainly, you know, avoiding things like, you know, smoking cigarettes and, you know, please don't do cocaine, you know, stuff like that. Um, but nutrition, I think, does play a role possibly in these babies that just don't seem to want to get born. You know, they're, um, mm -hmm. uh, it may be that the modern low-fat diet has been doing some damage there. You have to have a certain amount of healthy fats in order to process uh, oxytocin and the prostaglandins, which is help, helps to ripen the cervix and trigger labor. So some people have thought, well, we can just replace these healthy fats um, in the prostaglandin compounds by uh, doing things like, you know, taking um, herbal, well, it's not really an herb, it's a plant called even primrose oil or, um, you know, fish oil capsules or something like that, you know, to sort of figure that if we get healthy functioning fat profiles, then we'll have a better response to the ripening of the cervix. You know, I kind of hate to see that. I would rather say, you know, eat well, eat fish in your diet, rather than taking uh, things to try to make sure that you won't go post-dates. Mm -hmm. And it's something that the moms should discuss with their care providers and be aware of and, and pay attention yep. to. Yeah, exactly. They, you know, they need to insist on discussion with your care provider. You know, the, the whole idea that a woman who's seeing a doctor and midwife needs a doula bugs me a little bit because the doctor or, or a midwife's role, I think, is to do all those discussions every time you see somebody. And if you're getting a prenatal visit less than an hour, 
you're probably not getting the discussions that you need. You shouldn't have to go see your your you know your doctor or or, or a midwife and then call up your doula or you know call me up and say, "Wow, I was just there and they said such and such. What does that mean?" I'm like, you know, you need to insist when you're there and politely insist. Say, well, you know, wait, I still have some more questions. Or, but wait, I want to know about this. I want, what did you mean when you said the baby hasn't grown as much this week as last week? Is that a good thing? You know, should I be frightened of that? Women are frequently very frightened by some casual remark that a doc has said, which is really meaningless. But they take it as like, oh, my gosh, you know. Doc may say something like, oh, you have a little less water than last week. They go home. Well, they don't even wait to get home. They're out in the car and they're pulling out the smartphones and they're Googling, you know, lack of amniotic fluid, mm-hmm. oligohydramnios. Oh, my gosh, my baby's going to die. That's not what was said. So we really need to re-educate women to this thing of you're paying for this service. You're paying for their time. Go ahead and stay until you get your questions answered. And don't, don't let yourself leave that office confused by what was said. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because then it's just stressing you out more and it's not helping you, not helping baby, not helping the process. You know, don't even create one extra ounce of worry. Get it out of the way right then. Yes, exactly. I mean, don't don't let yourself get worried. I mean, we that's what we are. We're women. You know, we're worried. We want the best for our babies. And and we have a culture that loves drama, right? So there's going to be a movie about somebody having a baby. Something is going to go wrong. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but the fact is that, you know, most of the women in the world are giving birth without aid, without any help, and doing fine. You know, world, uh, overpopulation is a big problem in the world. Um, because babies, you know, generally are built to survive. And um, barring something ridiculous like a bomb dropping on your house, you know, most women do okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yet we, because we're, we're drama based, we're like, oh, we want to worry about this or about that. Don't worry about anything. Go find facts. See, my thing is facts. If there's something wrong and you find the facts about it, then you can sort of put this, this thing in perspective. Even if you find it something that's, you know, that, that's worrisome. I mean, maybe you did find out that you know, perhaps a baby has Down syndrome or something. That's a fact, but you can't try to base a future upon just one known fact that doesn't tell you really anything about this particular baby and its degree of, of Down syndrome and how sick it might be or how healthy it could be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, find the facts. Uh, insist on being treated as an individual, and I think that's a big thing. You know, I'm not a, na- I'm not a number, you know, I'm a human being. Oh boy, every uh, woman should walk into a prenatal visit with that understanding. She's not a number on the chart. And she herself, you know, needs to be seen as, um, as an individual woman carrying an individual and unique baby who has its own individual and unique needs. Mm-hmm. Count those kicks. Count those, Count those kicks, kicks. Connects with your baby. Say due month instead of due date or, mm-hmm. or estimated month. And, uh, and ask questions and get them answered. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Ask questions and get answered. You know, asking a question is not challenging somebody. It's like seeking more information. Mm-hmm. And and not just information, but from the information from the person that you're paying to provide you for information. Why would you go to Dr. Google and go look at something <laughs> that has nothing to do with you? Uh, indeed. Gail, thank you so much. So I think we've run out of time and, and for being with us today and walking us through your farm. And also, if people want to get in contact with you or follow or what you're doing, how can they do that? Oh, golly. Um, 
Do you want them to do that? You're like, I live out on a farm. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Midwives and doulas usually know they can contact me through uh, through Facebook. It's probably the easiest way. Um, uh, some of the organizations like Midwifery Today, they can usually contact me through there because they usually know where I am. Um, I do have a, a book written for doulas and midwives called Research Updates for Midwives, although it's a good one for doulas as well. Is that it's the recent one? for parents that are, um, it's about, uh, let's see, revised about two years ago. Awesome. Um, working on the next edition and uh, working on a, a couple of books. Um, they're like pieces of a quilt, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, got a bunch of things in the trunk. We have to get them out and finish them one of these days. But, um, but yeah, that was a pretty helpful book and it does go into detail on those for people that really need to get the research on it. It's not, um... It's not like reading a fiction book. I mean, it really is some pretty, um, well, I tried to take the research that is intense and hard to wade through and then put it into normal language. I guess that's probably the better way to describe this. See, that sounds fantastic to me. I'm going to go and look for it right away. And I'll do the links on the show notes to the your article about a timely birth and about the every birth is worth the wait that we talked about with March Adams and to this book. Okay, cool. Thanks. Very good. Thanks so much and have a lovely day. All right, thank you for having me on. Mighty Ones, find the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about me, the show, send me messages, and more. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. Oh, and I don't know what Gail Hart had for breakfast that day, but I'm envisioning some very lovely fresh farm eggs fried over easy. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to a mighty parent as they share their amazing story here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so very much for listening. This episode is copyright 2019 by Adriana Lozada. Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous birthful library. Happy listening.